Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And you're listening to Endurance Sports Innovation. On today's show, we talk to Nathan Killam, a professional triathlete out of Vancouver, BC, who has a very interesting mix of work, life, and his triathlon career. And we talk to him about his innovation and how he manages his time, a young child, and being a firefighter. Uh, Nathan has been tearing up the cyclocross scene and been making a strong, a strong statement with his triathlon performance and has been impressing everyone around him with his well-manicured mustache. <laughs> uh, that was more of a tongue twister than I expected. <laughs> what makes Nathan unique is the, uh, the work-life balance that he has to maintain. So Nathan is a full-time firefighter, uh, also a relatively new parent, which I've heard is a challenge, uh, and a pro triathlete on top of all that. And I think any one of those career paths would be challenging for people, but he manages to juggle all of them. So we're going to talk to him today about how he's able to balance all of these commitments while keeping himself and his family insane, or insane, <laughs> keeping them sane. Yeah, <laughs> keeping everyone from going insane. Yeah. A Freudian slip there, maybe. That's a, sli that's a slip that Nathan's allowed to make, Andrew, not you. Yeah. yeah, I don't have any children. I don't have a second career, so I have got no excuse here. Uh, so <laughs> welcome to the show, Nathan. Thanks for having me on, guys. So first off, I guess just to give us a little background about yourself, why don't you just give us a quick overview of how you managed to get into triathlon and how you figured out you actually had a talent for it? It's actually a, a, a bit of a, a story of circumstance and coincidence and just kind of, you know, a little zig here, a little zag there. I, uh, I never really liked exercise through like late high school. And, uh, once I, once I graduated from high school, I stopped exercising completely and had a really bad diet. So I ate a lot, just sat around a lot and, uh, gained a lot of weight and got up to 210 pounds by the time the fall rolled around after graduating. So I realized that I needed to make a bit of a change. And I decided to change my diet, doing a little exercise. I enjoyed snowboarding in the winter. So I would go snowboarding with friends all the time. And I believe it was the 2005 to 2006 New Year's Day. We were up in Whistler and we were snowboarding. And uh, we, we were coming down this uh, technical run and I fell and broke my tailbone. So... <laughs> I managed to get, I managed to ride myself down the mountain, went to the hospital and they said, Oh yeah, it's broken right here. You can see the big crack. I was really bummed. It was, having a, it was like two feet of fresh powder. So off I go, go home, laying around, not doing anything, but watching TV and eating and started, you know, gaining a little bit of weight through the, the next week or two and decided I needed to get up and do something. But I mean, I couldn't walk at all. So I thought I'd go to the pool and teach myself how to swim. So I remember swimming and it was probably a 15 meter pool, maybe even 15 yards. It was a very short pool. And I did what amounted to about 500 meters. And I thought I was the greatest swimmer of all time. Like, ah, I can't believe I swam that far. It's amazing. And uh, just from there, I, I started to learn how to swim. I went to the local pool. The lifeguards taught me how to swim. I had some friends who knew how to swim. So I kind of, a bit of self-taught, just kind of figuring out as I went. And uh, once I recovered, I was able to go back to the gym. And I did a little bit of running on the treadmill, but not much. And then I decided to start riding my bike to work one day, just kind of on a whim. 
So I started riding my dad's like ancient 10 speed. It was probably from the seventies weighed what must've been at least a hundred pounds. This thing was just a tank and it was a 14 K round trip, had a rat trap on the back. I put my lunchbox in there, ride into the shop. And one day a friend of mine in 2007 said, Hey man, you know how to swim, you know how to bike and you can run. Why don't you try this thing called a triathlon? They have one up near my cabin in Harrison. And I thought, ah, triathlon. I think I've heard of one of those. Maybe I'll, I'll check this out. So I did a little research online and this, it was probably about two months away. And I thought, yeah, I could probably do this. It was, uh, I think it was just a sprint distance with a, it was a 500 meter swim, 20 K bike, five K run. I thought, yeah, I could do this. I could, I could do this triathlon thing. So I went to the local bike shop, picked up a road bike, which I thought it was the greatest color. It was this blue color that matched my car. I was like, yeah, this is great. And it, it turns out it was way too small for me, but a long stem, a long seat post, the shop owner made it fit. It was a 48 centimeter bike, <laughs> which is absolutely ridiculous, but it looked a bit like a clown bike, but I love that bike. And uh, I went to the triathlon store nearby and got some clip on arrow bars. Cause I heard that's, that's the way to do it. That's what you got to have to go faster. And the, the girl there who worked behind the counter taught me a ton about triathlon and I went and did this race and I won and it was just for beginners. It was a, a first timers triathlon and I thought it was the greatest thing ever. So I was completely hooked after that day. And I actually met some friends or I made some friends at that race who are still friends of mine today, which is pretty cool. And after that, I just started looking at more triathlons and just kept getting into more triathlons. This one wasn't exact. The first one wasn't exactly a well-planned out triathlon. There wasn't very many people on course to stop traffic and it was pretty base level. So I started doing more of the bigger local races and just got completely hooked. And I, all I wanted to do was train. And then I got a coach that fall and just, just started working with him. And the rest is kind of history. Three years later, I uh, was doing really well racing 70.3s just I was winning my age group and beating some of the pros. So I thought, Oh, maybe this is, this is something I should do to get my pro card. So I took out a Canadian pro card and that was nine, nine years or eight years ago now. So yeah, nine years ago, this is my ninth season as a pro. So yeah. Yeah. That's quite, the rest is history. (laughs) Quite a story. I didn't realize it was such an interesting background you had. It's um, yeah. I I grew up I grew up playing baseball and hockey. I was a goalie and a catcher, so not really much aerobic fitness <laughs> from from either of those sports. Good flexibility and reaction speed, but not yeah, Two not a big aerobic engine. Overly critical for triathlon, but uh, no, <laughs> no. It's it's interesting though because you don't often hear of injuries starting a career in sports as opposed to ending them. So that's, that's yeah. very cool that you were able to turn that into an opportunity. Yeah, I don't know. It just things just kind of randomly fell into place to end up how they did, which is, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have similar stories of just, you know, odd coincidences, get them into something. But yeah, it was kind of just a perfect storm of random coincidences. I was actually starting to do, I was starting to get into MMA fighting, training for that. And that's like, so I was starting to get into that. And then uh, when I hurt myself, I 
kind of did a bit of a shift. So who knows what would have happened if I hadn't broke my tailbone. Well, I guess let that be a warning for anyone who tries to pick a fight with you on course then too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. That was a long time yeah, ago. Don't draft Nathan in, a, in an illegal race. No, I'll definitely tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll definitely give you crap for. Fair enough. So that's yeah, that story is uh, it's it's a fairly common story for you know your your average age grouper. Um, it's the the maybe the uh, the middle bit is is what's uncommon. The fact that you were able to turn it into a pro career, um, and that uh, is a is a good kind of segue into into our next question for you, Nathan. You probably have to get pretty creative to to balance all the things that have that are going on in your life right now. So, can you tell us a little bit about what else you do other than being a pro triathlete and uh, how you make it all fit? Yeah, so I mean, I've been a professional firefighter for nine years now, and that's been you know I, I absolutely love being a firefighter and it's incredibly rewarding and I really like working with all the guys and girls that are on our department. And that, that career has really given me, you know, when you're working, it's hard and it can be hard, but it affords me a little extra time off and a little extra flexibility just with my schedule, being able to, you know, pick holidays around races or, you know, you can get shift trades and whatnot. So that's really been beneficial. Um, it's also given me, you know, a focus outside of triathlon, which has created a lot of balance. So I think some triathletes, some pros have trouble with balance in their life. They're just so focused on one thing at all times that, uh, you know, there can be a bit of mental burnout. So that's, that's been really, really rewarding. And my son, who was born 21 months ago, has definitely uh, changed things a little bit. So, I, I mean, it's a lot easier when you're, when you're, you know, just two, two, or I guess, my wife and I got married a few years ago, but it's a lot easier when it's just the two of you. And then once you throw a kid in the mix, it really shakes things up. And of course, uh, not long after he was born, I decided to start triathlon coaching. So that just adds another little level of, of something else into the mix. But I think what's really helped me a lot and probably the most is that I just have an incredibly supportive wife and she used to race at a fairly high level in cycling and uh, just having her understanding and support is basically what makes the difference between being able to be successful by having the time to commit versus not. But there's definitely a lot of, a lot of uh, just planning, you know, making one trip into uh, a lot of, or I guess accomplishing a lot of different tasks. So, you know, in the morning, I take my son to daycare, it's drop off, it's right to the pool, it's home, maybe do a little coaching, little recovery, then it's into the next session, then that's done, more recovery, and then there's a sometimes there's a third session, and then it's off to pick my son up from daycare, and that's on my days off. So it's basically full on from when I get up in the morning or when my son comes and knocks on the door and comes in to wake me up. At least he so knocks, huh? The day's off. Yes, he'll. It's more like he bangs on the door. And my wife opens it for him. <laughs> so it's. I mean, I enjoy it. It's a nice way to wake up. I'm sure you can attest. It's yeah, my kind of nice yeah, to see. My that. little guy's 20 months, so I'm right there with you. I've got an older boy too, but yeah, I, I know what it's like. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's the, my days off from work are always, always 100% full on, basically from when I wake up to when I go to bed, you know, it's wake up, play with them, daycare, you know, two to three training sessions, filling the time in between uh, with coaching or, you know, sponsorship slash, I guess, social media responsibility kind of work. And you, I, the thing that's probably changed the most since my son was born is that there's no more fluff time and no more wasted time through the day. You know, I think if people took into account how many hours a day they spend just looking at Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or random things on the internet mindlessly, it adds up to a lot of time. So I don't have that time anymore. That's been taken up by everything else. And I mean, I do, once my son goes to bed, it's when I usually do the rest of my coaching for the day. So it's, it's, I don't think it's for everybody. I think you have to have a lot of energy and have a lot of drive to want to do these things. I mean, I love triathlon. I love coaching. I love being a firefighter. I absolutely love being a father. It's like above and beyond the most rewarding thing in my life and way better than I thought it would ever be. And just trying to get rid of wasted time. I mean, some days, you know, every so often I miss a a training session here or there just because time catches up to you. And, and, you know, that's life. I think once you come to the terms with the fact that you might miss a workout every so often, you just, can kind of go, okay, that's how it is today and just move on with the next thing. So I think on my days off anyways, that's, that's basically the day in a nutshell. It's, I do, I've been doing a lot of swimming, so it's usually starts with a swim and then it's off into everything else on my days on. So we work a rotating schedule of two days, two nights and four days off. So the two days I usually don't do much. I'll usually do some strength training at the end of the day. And then that's about it. That's my two strength days of the week. Sometimes we add a third. And then those days are usually more of a a lighter recovery day. And then my nights, it's the first day I try and fit in as much as I can. I work my night, go home and sleep in between nights. And you can usually get one to two short sessions in if I kind of plan the day accordingly. And then it's kind of the same after my second night. And then I have three full days. So it's busy, but it's very rewarding. How do you deal, Nathan, with the unpredictable nature of your work? So I have a good friend who's a firefighter in Toronto. And, uh, you know, there are days where he does nothing. And then there are days where he's got calls on top of calls. So if you've got, you know, a couple of busy days in a row, like how does that affect training? How do you make sure you recover? And how do you fit all of that in? So I've been working with the same coach for... I think this is my ninth season now with him, uh, Bjorn Ossenbrink. And uh, he, we've been working together so long. Basically, right after I started my career that fall, I started my firefighting career in the spring. And that fall, I started working with Bjorn. And he's really good at following how, you know, my progression through a set is. He's really receptive to comments. I think the biggest absolutely the most important thing, which I cannot stress enough to all athletes. And I I know for sure that you can appreciate this, but our communication is very up to date. Like every day, if I'm feeling, it's usually more of if I'm feeling bad or feeling exceptionally good, I make sure I'm communicating with them. 
And after every session, I always, there's always something to give him an idea of how I'm feeling. So he can kind of evolve the rest of the training, so like subsequent training, so that it's kind of appropriate for how busy my, my set is. So yeah, I mean, some sets it's pretty, pretty light. And some sets it's just, you're just, you know, it's house fire, car crash, people calling in all over the place and it's just everything. So we really get a mix. And I mean, that's what I absolutely love about the job is that it's, there's nothing that's the same. It's always different and you never know what's going to, you can just go from sitting, having a coffee and then, you know, 10 minutes later, you're, you're pulling lines to the front door of a, a house on fire. So uh, it's really the communication between me and my coach and also me knowing my body that if I'm fatigued from something, being able to have the, you know, the wherewithal to say, I just, I can't perform this, this workout. I just, I'm too tired. I need to rest. So I'll get some extra sleep. So it's, it's taken a long time to have the discipline to be able to say, I can't, all right, it's better if I don't do this just based off how I'm feeling. So that's definitely really helped me just my experience from training at a high level for a long time. It's a really interesting balance and uh, judgment that you have to go through all the time, I think, because so many athletes, um, if they're a full-time pro who is only a pro, then you expect your body to either be recovered or um, you can anticipate how much kind of fatigue that you have. But in your case, um, you've got this unexpectedness that comes up uh, with the job all the time. So you might one day just have a completely physical day at work, and then the next it might be uh, completely different. So it's it's really a testament to your ability to understand your own body that you're able to go into these training sessions and have a good feel for what you can actually do and, and be able to remain productive as opposed to just spinning your wheels all the time and getting frustrated by having some fatigue left over from work. So it's, uh, you know, kudos to you. That's That's fantastic to see. Yeah, I think, I think that's, and that's something I try to tell people too, is that you need to learn how to listen to your body. And if your body's telling you something, you, you, you need to listen because, you know, in the past I've just pushed, I just always pushed, always pushed. And I've dug myself into holes and had health issues that are related to, you know, not eating right, not feeling right, not resting enough. And it, you can just, you know, dig yourself into a hole. Uh, I've had, I've been an anemic in the past, just from, you know, not eating enough iron sources and not, you know, resting enough. So it's, it's something that is very real and can happen. And I've kind of, you know, sometimes I learn the easy way, sometimes I learn the hard way, but it's definitely been a learning process and it's never ending. I still am, you know, improving on my ability to make those judgment calls, but it's definitely something that comes with time and you don't just learn it overnight. The next point I kind of wanted to touch on that, uh, that you'd brought up was just how supportive your wife was for your career and how she was uh, competitive in her past. Um, and I think that's interesting because there are probably a lot of age groupers out there who uh, find time in spite of their family, as opposed to um, to working with their family and, and everyone understanding it and coming to a good compromise. Cause I've heard the term, uh, iron widow before, um, for yes. <laughs> the significant other where you, you basically get abandoned for the sake of training. Um, so it's, 
just fantastic to hear that you're able to balance that with your wife and you guys can come to an understanding and, and, and balance having a young son as well. Um, so. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't say my wife would probably tell you that it is very challenging and uh, it's just something that I'm just, I basically feel like I won the wife lottery that it, it isn't easy for her and I can see it. And I know, and I know that, you know, racing at this level is not a forever thing. So she's just very supportive, you know, here and now. And, you know, sometimes I push my luck, which is probably not a good idea. But, you know, as a whole, she kind of takes the brunt of, you know, the, the challenge and like lets me roll with it. So I'm incredibly lucky. Does she travel to a lot of the races with you? I think I've seen a few shots in the past of you holding your son at the finish line. So, yeah. So, so usually, usually anything we can drive to, she'll be there. Uh, she's come to races that we fly to in the past, but that was before our son was born. We've actually never flown with them yet, which I guess if we want to take advantage of that under two fly free, we should probably think about it. But uh, it's, it's usually the the driving races, so Victoria seventy point three, the races in Penticton, those types of events she'll come to. But we'll probably, you know, it's. I'm sure, I'm sure Michael, you understand that traveling with young kids can be challenging. So that's kind of we're just kind of waiting until he's a little bit older and it makes traveling a little easier, and then he'll probably start coming to more events. But. So far, it's just been driving events. It is tough to travel with them for sure. And we sort of missed the window with our first one, the fly-free window. But um, yeah, it really depends on how well they tolerate the car. Um, some kids are really good and some kids get bored quickly. Yeah, we had a, a, when our son was really young, it could be very challenging, but he's a lot better now. So it's, it's a learning process. Yeah, and honestly, sure. looking back at uh, my past, my, I used to do road trips with my parents. Um, back in the 80s, obviously, we didn't have iPads and all that. So I remember playing a lot of card games and uh, and other just uh, more social games. Yeah, I Spy. And I Spy. A specific example. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up, uh, we grew up doing a lot of traveling by truck and camper to go camping, fishing, those kind of things all through the summer. So... I I can appreciate that uh, it was a a little different back in the late '80s, early '90s, before anything. Coloring books was a big one, so we we have an iPad now, and our son doesn't really get any st- screen time yet. But I'm sure once he's a bit older, an iPad is going to come hugely in handy, being able to plunk that in front of them for a bit of a road yeah. trip. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good way of keeping kids engaged. But um, there's definitely something to be said as well for just having that uh, person-to-person uh, games and things like that, that part of the development. And just the patience, too. Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Children teach you patience. They definitely will teach well, you. In terms of his patience, but yeah, I guess it goes both yeah. ways. Yes. And letting them be creative and come up with their own their own games in their mind. So without diverging too much and going into a parenting discussion, which may be a little bit off topic here (laughs) and one that I can't really contribute to at all. Fair um, enough. (laughs) So uh, I guess um, looking at things just from the the professional perspective um, where people make, some athletes make a career out of their, um, their athletics and, and are able to, 
keep the finances going and things like that, but they're also able to devote 100% of their time. Uh, how many pros do you think out there hold full-time jobs versus how many have just the athletics being their full-time job? So I've done a lot more racing doing long course racing than I have short course, but I really got to peer into the short course window through the Super League series that I just took part in, the championship series. A lot of the guys and girls racing there are we're the best of the best in short course and listening to them it sounds like in short course a lot of the i would say the world cup and higher world cup and wts series athletes none of them really have any side job they they're either supported by their national federation and sponsorships and and race money or they you know have some other outside financial assistance I can't really speak too much for, say, continental pro level below, but I think a lot of them also, if they work at all, it's very part-time. But in the long course scene, I think there's a lot of a lot of the top-end guys and girls don't really have anything going on the side. And if it is, it's a fairly relaxed and easy-to-accomplish type of side work. But I think in the lower levels, kind of, you know, what I would consider myself is probably more of like the C plus to B minus category of pros. There's probably more pros that do either coaching. There's a lot of pros that do coaching. Uh, that's where they make their main source of income or something along those lines. And then I don't think there's a ton of guys and girls that are like me that have an actual full-time job. Every so often I'll run into Athletes that have some form of a, you know, 30 hour plus a week type of job. But for the most part, I would say at most, it's a very part time, you know, a lot of, a lot of athletes work bike shops, run shops, uh, th that kind of thing where they can be very flexible with the days that they work and the times that they work and it's not strenuous. So I would say Coaching is probably one of the most common side works that I or side jobs that I see for coaches that or for pro athletes. But a lot of them, like when I go to most of these races, you know, there's a lot of the guys just just race. So it's uh, pretty interesting to see the diversity. So I guess it's uh, it's probably safe to say you're possibly the world's fastest firefighter. Yeah, have you looked into that? Uh, yeah, I've actually never competed at the world. There's the World Police Fire Games has triathlon. It's Olympic distance. Uh, I haven't raced it yet. I Unfortunately, in 2009 was the year that the Police Fire Games was here in uh, Vancouver. The triathlon was actually on what was known as the Iron Mountain Triathlon course out in Maple Ridge, which is from where I live in Vancouver. It's about 45 to 60 minute drive east. And that, that race I missed, unfortunately, which kind of sucked, but... You know, I wasn't hired yet. That's life. The The closest one that I've missed was in LA, but apparently the triathlon and cycling, some of the cycling races were canceled because of flooding or something, or maybe it was New York, sorry, New York. Uh, but yeah, they, they hold the police fire games every two years. It's always off, off Olympic cycle years. So it's the, uh, the odd number years. So 2009, 11, 13, 15, 17, uh, they're coming up, they're in Europe this year, and then the ones out, or they're in China, I think, this year. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting until they're back closer again 
and I'd like to compete, but I do know some of the names that have raced in the past and I have raced them and beaten them. So, I mean, I don't know. I've don't know of any, I I've raced a New York firefighter a few years back in Puerto Rico. Um, but I haven't seen too many pro firefighters. Oh, Andrew Drobek, actually. How can I forget Drobek? He's uh, a Missoula firefighter. He is a mountain goat when it comes to stair climb racing, but he's very a very strong athlete, very well-rounded. But I've raced Andrew a few times. He's beaten me once uh, in, in 2015 at Wildflower, and then uh, I think uh, I've had the better hand at, at all the races that we've had since then. But yeah, for the most part, there's not a lot of high level triathlete fire. You gotta let us know because then we'll uh, we'll we'll cover the cover the race because we'll want to know if you are indeed the fastest in the world. Yeah, you sh- well, well, I'll definitely uh, let you know when I'm gonna go because I would imagine in the next couple of years I'd probably be a little more interested to go. Usually, it's always kind of in the July August, so it's prime time for pro racing, and you know. F- triathlon professional triathlon is a business so i need to make good business decisions that are gonna because i you know i need to to make money at this to support my family and support the actual racing itself so it's kind of hard to pick world police fire games over another race that has a, a prize first but i think i think eventually i'll i'd like to try racing it cool um, we've got one more f- for you, Nathan. The you've been you've been a pro as you said for for nine years and in the sport for a little bit longer. So you've seen a lot of stuff uh, come and go and things change. So if you want, if you could pick your favorite um, or the thing that's impacted you the most from a training perspective and also from a, a gear perspective uh, that has come along in the last maybe the last handful of years, what would those things be, and how have they impacted you? Yeah. So, I mean, so many, so many new things have come out. When I first started training indoors, I just had 50 channels on regular cable and I was basically at the will of whatever was on. But I mean, Netflix has been (laughs) unbelievable. It's just, I used to have to go, if I had a four or five hour trainer ride coming up, I'd go rent a couple movies from the video store, but that's kind of all gone. That's part of the past now. But I would say Zwift. I guess it's been a little bit longer no, we'll than two years it. since Zwift came out, but I would say, yeah, I would say Zwift and I know smart trainers have also been out a little bit longer than two years, but smart trainers as well. That's probably made, it's made indoor training the most fun. And I think the Zwift racing is really, really beneficial for uh, your top end power and strength on the bike. So I would say, and it makes it way more fun, way more fun. So I would say Zwift and the smart trainers that are compatible with have really been the most exciting thing because, I mean, bikes have gotten a little bit more aero and the helmets are a bit more aero and there's fancy skin suits and stuff now. But I would say those two things are the biggest changes that have come into the the realm of cycling and triathlon. So I, I would have to say my answer is the smart trainers and I love Zwift it. You kind of lump both of them together, both technology and training techniques. So, uh, and that's 
Yeah, and listen, that's spoken yeah, like definitely. a true coach, you know, when uh, anyone asks you about, about you know, what's going to make me faster. <laughs> it's like, well, dude, better training, more training, or, or you know, putting putting in more quality time rather than, you know, getting getting an extra two millimeters on your wheel. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, I would say kind of in conjunction with everything is that with my coach, we've basically gotten rid of junk miles. I don't really do a lot of junk miles anymore. Most sessions because of time, you know, there's only so many hours. So we just do a lot of quality. And I think Zwift racing has really helped with that. Cause Matt, I mean, if you, I'm sure you've Zwift raced, you can push so hard and, you know, done right. You can, you can really get a benefit from those races. For sure. It depends. I think, I mean, look, you know, we can, we can differ in our opinions on that on training, but it, uh, it depends on what you're training for. It depends on obviously like what you're trying to stress. Um, but absolutely. Like if you're, if you're trying to do, you know, if you're trying to test your fitness, for instance, a Zwift race is an amazing way to go. If I'm, if I'm uh, going to use, let's say like a, t- a time trial protocol for, for somebody to test, um, you know, test their bike fitness, a Zwift race is an excellent way to do it. Totally. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions that we had for now. Um, so I definitely enjoyed this conversation. I learned a ton about you as well. I, I thought I knew you before, but uh, all this other stuff is coming out. So it was it was fantastic. <laughs> it was really enlightening. And I think a lot of people will find this quite interesting as well. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, for sure, Nathan. And I mean, it's something that, you know, uh, the us recreational triathletes and coaches, we we follow, you know, you follow all sorts of folks on Instagram and you you read their stories and it's uh it's it's easy to to see professional athletes as as you know, people who live in a totally different sphere. Uh but, you know, talking to folks like you who who hold down a regular job and and have a family and still can uh, can put in the time and quality to to do what you do on the professional triathlon scene, that's, uh, that's, that sort of bridges the gap. That's really cool to hear. Yeah. I, I, and I think the biggest message I want people to hear from all of this and the takeaway is that you don't have to have a background in anything. You don't have to have been, you know, an NCAA runner or a div one swimmer or any of that stuff. I mean, if you just work hard and put in the time and the effort and the, have the dedication, you can achieve anything you want. Like I have nothing, there's nothing special about me. Maybe I have some good genes, but I can tell you it's been a lot of very, very hard work. And I just want people to take away the message that, you know, if you, you can do this too, this is not particular to just me. For sure. For sure. That's, that's awesome advice, man. Yeah. I really like that message. So thanks once again for joining us today. Uh, it's been yeah, a great conversation and uh, we will follow you very closely and I'm looking forward to seeing the next firefighting games. For sure. And speaking of uh, following Nathan, what, uh, how can people follow you if they want to know more about you, keep on top of what you're up to, see your race results, et cetera? What are your channels? Yeah, I'm on uh, uh, Instagram as Nathan Killam. I'm also Nathan Killam on Facebook and Twitter. And then my website, NathanKillam.com, I post uh, you know, blog and training race updates from time to time. But, uh, I would say Instagram, Facebook are probably the two easiest ways to follow me. Sounds great. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure talking with you.